Do you like coffee? I know that you do, and that's why I want to tell you about Fresh Roasted Coffee. Fresh Roasted is a locally owned and operated coffee house right here in central Pennsylvania that is committed to providing the highest quality coffee on earth. They do so by sourcing only the freshest coffee beans and by using the most eco-friendly roasting technology in the world. Fresh Roasted's USDA certified organic coffee beans ensure that your coffee is consistently regulated at each stage of the production process and completely free of GMOs and harmful synthetic substances. Fresh Roasted Coffee roasts their beans per order with immediate packaging and shipping directly to your door, meaning that you get to experience fresh coffee at its peak drinkability. That's what I like. I was introduced to Fresh Roasted Coffee soon after moving to central Pennsylvania, and I'm so happy I was because I think it's literally the best coffee out there. Their Blackbeard's Revenge blend is out of this world good. Whether you use a regular drip coffee maker or a pour-over or a French press, however you get your coffee fix, make it fresh roasted. Go to the link in the notes for this show and use the offer code GRACE10 at checkout. That's offer code GRACE10 at checkout to get a discount on your next order. Welcome to another episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to marvel at the mercy of God that meets us in our messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray. I'm the senior pastor of Stonington Baptist Church in Paxinos, Pennsylvania. And uh, I am so excited about today's podcast. We have another interview. I'm so glad to share this one with you. And it comes, uh, it's a long time coming. Uh, I am so thrilled to have back on the show uh, Cole Deakey. So Cole Deakey is a pastor uh, in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. He is a pastor of Frontier Church out there. And he has been planning this church. And actually, uh, they're almost entering into the phase in which they can't call themselves a church plant anymore, which is a very exciting uh, sort of phase of ministry. And um, I'm just so excited to share this conversation with you. Cole is such a deep thinker. He's such a profound uh, minister too. And so we just have uh, had a wonderful time catching up, chatting together, talking about uh, everything from how to do ministry in the middle of a pandemic, pandemic to what makes um, a pastor mentally and spiritually tough in order to be able to handle these sort of unique seasons of, of life and ministry with grace and with patience. And um, it is uh, incredibly freeing to know that this work of the kingdom uh, is happening, yes, even despite us, as uh, I've mentioned previously, but yes, it is happening uh, with uh, us along with it. And I'm so uh, thrilled to have uh, Cole sort of on the same side on this kingdom. Uh, I'm, I'm immensely blessed by him. He is um, a, a pastor that I am thrilled to call a friend. Uh, and I think he is one that has a really adept view of, of, of life and ministry and of grace. And so I pray that you will... Really, um, just take uh, take a minute, listen to this episode. Um, I pray that it fills your soul with lots of encouragement, with lots of 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 faith and hope. And I know that you will be blessed uh, blessed by it. Uh, so, without further ado, this is my interview, my conversation with with Cole. Enjoy. Cole, it's, man, it's great to talk with you again. It's great to have you on the podcast. I don't even remember when 
we were kind of last talking. It's been several years, but uh, uh, it's good to hear your voice. How are things? Yeah, dude, it's so good to be back talking with you, man. It, it has been a few <laughs> years, so let's not let's not let that happen again. All right. No, no, no. That's that's definitely my fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks for asking, though, bro. I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Um, my wife and I had our sixth anniversary uh, of last oh, week. We we got away for three to four days and a little vacation to Door County. Um, we got two kids, and the kids went with the grandparents. And so, dude, I don't think that I have breathed that deeply in like five years. It was amazing. <laughs> it's just That's great. It's just this sweet, beautiful little county that has all these small towns. Um, all this cool local culture, all these great coffee shops and breweries and local stores. And so Chloe and I are both just kind of writers and readers and people persons. And so, dude, we just caught up, uh, journaled, prayed, hung out. So we're, we're feeling good, man. Life is tight. Oh, man, that's so wonderful to hear. And that's great that you guys were able to uh, kind of get away for a little bit and get a, get away by yourselves for a little bit. That is so uh, needed, especially after a lot of the seasons that I'm sure that you have been enduring as a church and, Ooh, and all that. Yes. And, uh... <laughs> yes. yes, sir. Well, uh, let's kind of jump into that, because uh, how long have you been uh, planting Frontier Church and how would you say... Uh, What's kind of your assessment of where you are as a church, uh, just ministerial and spiritually and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, dude. So we're three and a half years in. And you know what? Actually, let me let me take that back. We're actually coming up on four years now, Brad. We'll as a as a church, we will turn four in uh, in August, which is crazy to say, dude. Like, mm. I don't know. I guess I have to stop saying that we're a church plant because. We, we, planted, <laughs> we planted almost four years ago and we've got an established elder team right now. We're financially self-sufficient. And so I think like all the markers are there to, to start calling ourselves just the local church. But I don't know. It's just been a long time since I've not thought of myself as a church planter. So that's pretty crazy. But Man, that's so wonderful to hear that. And uh, that's like that's a big moment, significant step forward. But it's great to. Uh, as I've kind of watched you guys from afar, mm -hmm. uh, as you've kind of made your mark as a local church, I, I think that uh, you've done a, a, a great deal to uh, progress yourselves towards that end. And so, yeah, what what are some of the things you've been learning through that process? Not, not just yourself, but yeah. um, as sort of um, a, a lo local church body, as you've kind of established your your not, not your name, but not your brand, but just establish sure. yourselves as a local church. <laughs> Yeah, well, so one thing that stuck out to me definitely during this season, bro, is that arrival is a lie. Like, that's uh, just yeah. totally not a thing. Like, I never would have articulated it this way, but I always thought that we would kind of outgrow our scrappy early years and experience some sense of arrival three or four years in as a church, you know, and and in some sense, we have achieved those things like God has helped us become financially self-sufficient. We don't have any external support coming in. We finally have installed a functioning team of elders. We're finally developing and sending out our first church planter. So like some some definite key pieces are in place, but we have not like arrived. Like just when you think that you have some semblance or sense of arrival, all of a sudden COVID-19 hit and <laughs> Then, you know, you've got George Floyd hit. And the next thing you knew, like we're, we're all stuck home, quarantined. Um, 
uneasy about the state of the world, angry at each other, arguing and bickering on social media. And all of a sudden, dude, it, mm. like it feels like I'm back in planting mode. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And, um, I, I think that's like the, the things that have happened in our nation lately have been horrible. And I don't want to minimize those in any way. But I do think that God has been kind in showing me that arrival is totally a lie and that for the rest of my life, if God keeps me in pastoral ministry, I'm always going to be strategizing. I'm always going to be scrapping. I'm always going to be light on my feet. And in a sense, I'm always going to be in church planter mode. And I think that's a that's a grace, dude, because that's how I thrive and that's how I flourish as a leader. So in a sense, it's like, of course, I would never want COVID-19 to hit. But man, to go back to the drawing board, to rethink the things we're doing well, to rethink the things that we could be doing better, maybe we're doing poorly. I mean, that's kind of a breath of fresh air for me. So that's that's mm. that's a new thing is realizing that we're not going to be we're not going to be in the end zone until glory comes. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And praise God that we can look forward to that. And that's the message that we that we preach. Uh, well, we can kind of get to that, though, now yeah. Uh, yeah. is um, this pandemic well it's so interesting because i i too kind of like stepped into 2020 with these uh latent ideas of how successful i was going to be which totally. uh which were quickly dashed uh pretty early on in 2020 um <laughs> as i think everyone uh has yeah. been dashed too um but what are some of the things that you've kind of uh taken away from uh during that season uh and i don't mean to make it into like a learning uh, time, right. but I do think there's a lot of things that we can uh, learn about ourselves and learn about us as ministers and church leaders uh, through uh, something as unprecedented as uh, the 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 pandemic that is, as as swept across and gained uh, national recognition and all those sorts of things. Um, is there anything that is sticking with you, or anything that's uh, kind of uh, impacted you most throughout that season? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much on every level on a, on a personal level, I have takeaways, um, at a pastoral level, I have takeaways. Um, and so I, I can go through all those, man, but, um, yeah. like at a personal level, what the pandemic has taught me is it has reminded me like how totally and utterly dependable the scriptures are hmm, and, yeah. and absolutely how the story of God is uniquely our story. Like the, the story that has really been haunting me. And I preached this two and a half years ago is the story of Jonah, man. Like mm. all of a sudden with this newfound clarity that comes along with, with COVID-19, I see how absolutely true the story and the narrative of Jonah is because Jonah's haunting for a lot of reasons. Like one reason why Jonah is really haunting is because Jonah never performs well on dry land and in comfortable places, dude. Like when, when he's on land at the beginning of Jonah, God comes through with a very clear command for his life and the bro just tucks tail and he runs the opposite way. And, and even after the, after the whale vomits him and Jonah kind of regains his sense of self and he kind of arrives back on dry land, he goes and he, you know, he preaches to the Ninevites and they all repent. And then Jonah throws a fit. And so you're, you're looking at Jonah's story and you're like, whoa, is this, is this saying that people are usually not at their most faithful or Christ-like when they're on dry ground and when life is easy? And the haunting hmm. thing about Jonah is that where's the one place that Jonah actually has a moment of faithfulness? And it's when he's freaking <laughs> quarantined, bro. 
in the, <laughs> in the belly of the whale, nowhere to go, like probably marinating in whale bile, right up to his knees in whale bile, like inhaling whale fart through his nose, like the most uncomfortable place, <laughs> like stomach lining of the whale is pressing in on him. And that is where Jonah prays and experiences redemption. Hmm. It's like, dude, if you're not experiencing some sense of that in quarantine, you got to wake up, bro. Like we are, we're all in the belly of the whale. We're all kind of sort of stuck at home, missing people. And all of a sudden, either our prayer life is deepening like it is in Jonah or something else is being revealed in our lives. So that's been like kind of haunting to look back at Jonah and be like, whoa, this is the scriptures are very dependable as a story for our life. Oh, wow, man. I love that image. The idea that Jonah was in quarantine is, uh, I've never thought about that before, uh, but it is too it is incredibly pervasive. Uh, I think what happens in that moment where, you know, uh, when you won't believe that the word in Jesus himself is your only hope until it is your only hope. And I think that that's kind of the kind of the narrative that's being thrust upon us. Um, totally. or at least I hope it is to a lot, uh, to in, in, in a lot of ways that, that people are and Christians and evangelicals, if I can use that word, it, uh, are being forced to see their utter dependency uh, on Christ alone. Um, yep. Man, what a, what a good it. word. Quarantines do it too. Cause you know, biblical themes are sort of like a new hammer. You know, once you've got a new hammer, mm. everything looks like a nail. You just go around and, you just hit everything <laughs> with that new hammer. And so all of a sudden it started to pop in, in my own personal devotion life. I'm like, dude, this is not a Jonah thing. All of a sudden you start to read the Psalms and you're like, whoa, where are some of the most explosive Psalms coming from? King David writing in a literal pit. And all of a sudden you start to you start to look at the crucifixion of Jesus and you start to wonder where does Christian victory happen? when Jesus descends to the dead and overthrows powers and principalities. And so all of a sudden you're like, you begin to sense that in quarantine, Jesus is uniquely present with you and you're experiencing something that is not sub-Christian, but is like uniquely Christian. That's right. That's right. Because only, only the Christian message, uh, also uh, comes with the accompanying message of resurrection and you can't have resurrection without death. Uh, and that necessi necessitates oftentimes failure, uh, necessitates ruin. And I think in those senses, uh, that's why the, the message of the gospel, um, is uniquely primed for moments, uh, such as we are in as not just a nation, but as a church, uh, with everything that's happening all around us, it's, prime season not to kind of curtail and uh, put our our tails between our legs and hide it's prime season to uh, be all the more vocal about the the message of resurrection that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ um, that's good stuff right there <laughs> totally man I mean like the the world is shaking right now and it's boots and all, all of a sudden these comfortable secular worldviews I think have been split open and they've mm. Really, in a lot of ways, I think the sec secular narrative and um, the advancement of science, which is a great thing, but science as a uh, science and postmodernity as messiahs have all of a sudden yeah. failed people in a really scary way. And yeah. so I, I have people reaching out to me with questions about existence and God that I just never thought I would. You know, I'm a, I'm a high school wrestling coach. 
all of a sudden I, I've, I've got these wrestlers who are wanting to Skype with me during the off season to talk about the reality of God and what could or couldn't <laughs> be going on right now. So it, it's, it's opportunity season, I think. Definitely. And I, I think that you, you are, you, like you said, the, the gods of modernity and science and self-reliance and self-subsistence are being exposed uh, uh, in very alarming ways, uh, which is a really good thing uh, because yeah. I, I, uh, I think Western religion is, uh, is predominantly defined by uh, self-reliance more than any other sort of church or religious institution in the world. And I think when that's exposed, that's, that's good because I've been studying that in the gospel of Mark. It's just that everywhere Jesus is, <laughs> Jesus is predominantly uh, sort of insisting on the fact that no one is is self-reliant, that no yeah. one is independent and uh, that it's everywhere in the scriptures. And it's actually a sermon I just preached uh, in Mark 14, you know, where uh, Peter comes out and says that he's never going to deny Jesus and that even if he has to go to death with him, he will never deny him. And then a few hours later, he's found uh, sitting in his own tears after he's denied Jesus three times. And it's like the stark reality uh, that we aren't self uh that we can't be self-reliant, that our abilities uh, in, in spirituality, let alone in uh, in social realms and any other realms, uh, are just woefully insufficient in order to bring in the kingdom of God. And mm. I think that that's <laughs> being mm. kind of exposed in, in a lot of ways, which, as you said, um, and as I think the message is, it makes us all the more reliant on the true and better Messiah, who's going to bring in his kingdom and his timing and his ways, uh, regardless of what we do or don't do. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. That's a good word. So that's, you know, that's something that's definitely struck me at a personal level during COVID-19 mm, and you know, yeah. quarantine season. Um, there's been a lot of things that I've been learning like at a pastoral level though. Um, like yeah. one thing is what, what God is teaching me right now is how important it is to develop pastoral mental toughness. That's a yeah. mental toughness is like, that's a, Again, I'm a wrestling coach, so that's a phrase that gets used in athletics a lot. And, you know, in athletics, it means the ability to endure like a really, really difficult practice. But what God's been showing me is that pastoral mental toughness is different. And what I think it is, is this. I think it's the ability to look past all of the smoke and mirrors, especially in seasons like this, to look to, to, to in a healthy way, look past all of the arguments that Christians are having. Um, to look past all the things that your church members are posting about that are infuriating you, to look mm -hmm. past all of that smoke and to still see and identify ways that God is working through your church. That's pastoral mental toughness, like not allowing your neurons to build these incredibly easy neural pathways to being constantly frustrated about this opinion or that opinion or that tweet or i mean because you could think for days about that stuff if you want to talk about neural pathways thinking about those things for your neurons is like ice skating from point a to point b your brain just hmm. loves that sort of stuff but sometimes you just have to by the grace of god and with the holy spirit shovel these new neural pathways of you know what i know that there's just a lot of difficult things right now but dude I see God developing this person right now. Or dude, I see God really uniquely working in this person. Or wow, you're talking in Christ-like ways that you never would have before. So being focused on those, 
still finding things that God is doing in your church, dragging those things into the light and saying, hey, guys, look at what God's doing in our church. That's been really important for us during this season. Man, what a man! I, I love that idea of pastoral mental toughness, and I think that is so true um, because you can get so easily distracted. Uh, not only just seeing like a sermon that you prepare for and deliver, not uh, reap the effects and uh, that you w- were thinking it would, but just yeah, the constant uh, the constant barrage of just uh, you preach a message and you see. Uh, folks in your church uh, immediately almost disregard uh, what you just preached or what you've been aiming at uh, developing in their life and instilling in them. It's just like, were you listening? Um, and I think that, that, I mean, that's a, a kind of a, um, a silly thing sometimes, but I think there's a very real part of that to, to see the kingdom of God at work, even when it doesn't appear like it's at, like it's working and moving forward is, oh man, it takes incredible amounts of mental toughness and faith and fortitude. And I mean, I keep going back to Mark because I've, I've, I've been in it, Uh, but it reminds me of, and I'm trying to find it. And I think it's, um, it's the scene where, uh, where Jesus, um, I think it's right here. I think I just found it. So sorry. It's in Mark four. Um, and I love where he is. Ta- he's talking about the kingdom. Jesus is, and he says in Mark four twenty six, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like as a man scatters seed on the ground, and he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. <laughs> Which is really fascinating to me, uh, because what does it tell us? It tells us that that the that the the farmer, the man who's scattering the seed on the ground, is doing so without any sort of sense of growth or, or, or expansion or success. And yet he's doing it anyways. And I see a lot of myself in that, in the terms of like, I need to have that sort of mental toughness as a farmer would, uh, to see the kingdom of God go forward, even when there's no, uh, real sign of it taking hold. Uh, as it says here, it grows although he doesn't know how. I think that's what the kingdom of God is like a lot of times because we can look at the present state of the church and society, and we could be uh, very much um, uh, uh, deceived by the fact that (laughs) it doesn't appear as if the kingdom of God is anywhere close to coming about. And yet we still persistently believe that that's not the case. God is always working behind the scenes uh, constantly and his kingdom is always going forward. It's an unstoppable kingdom uh, with uh, that. It comes out of the message of God's unstoppable gospel. Uh, I mean, that's what I love. I mean, and it does take pastoral mental toughness because we are so married to, uh, to metrics and measures of success. So uh, I don't know. I've just been really moved by uh, that. And uh, the fact that, um, God's kingdom is going to move forward, whether we see signs of it or not. It's it's always moving forward. And uh, man, that's a good word. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a great example. I think another great example, maybe the most impressive example of pastoral mental toughness in all of scriptures is the example of Paul writing to the Corinthian church. I mean, <laughs> dude, yeah, I mean, this like, OK, I read the way that Paul talks to this church and I'm convicted. Like, would I see this? Because Paul, he, he's, 
he's a, he he's about to rip into this church from some in, like just some insane inexcusable stuff you've got a dude in the church who's sleeping with his mother-in-law you got people who are getting drunk off the communion wine like this is in the letter you have <laughs> you have people who were saved out of various cult temples in Corinth where orgies were happening and even though they're following Jesus now they're they're going back to these these orgy temples during the week and Paul's got to tell them hey you can't do this and follow Jesus and you think man I can't believe that Paul has to tell these dudes this, but he begins this letter to this church by saying, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the (laughs) grace of God that was given to you in Jesus Christ, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge so that you're not lacking in any gift. It's like when I read that, I think, Cole, would you see that? Or could could ever could the only thing you see is the drunkenness during during communion? Yes, you need to call that out. But but if you pastored a church with those issues where people were sleeping with one another, you know, going to various cults, could you still see ways that God is working in them and be motivated by that and thrilled by that and praise God for that? That's incredible, man. And I I get my my church plan is a part of two different networks. Um, so I get a lot of exposure to great pastors. And sometimes I think pastors, they, they kind of have the tendency, if we're not careful, to just sit in circles, little kumbaya circles, and just kind of bemoan how our church doesn't get it. Like, hmm. like my church doesn't get the COVID-19 thing, or my church has been duped by um, social justice, or my church has been duped by the right, or you know, whatever it is. And And sometimes I just think like, dude, we got to be more Pauline. And yes, we got to talk about those things, but talk about what your church does get right now. What is God doing? Where is God moving? Where is the unstoppable kingdom moving forward and trashing the kingdom of darkness? Mm. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great example from First Corinthians because there's no more like troubled church body, I think, that's ever been in, in history than that church. And yet, what does God? What does Paul remind them of over and over again? That of Christ crucified for them. Yeah. He, he doesn't stop uh, in his ministry to them, and he doesn't stop in his hopefulness for them. Um, and man, that's what a great uh, convicting message uh, to us who who, who aren't perhaps. Uh, I, I pray that we're not dealing with the same sort of issues that Paul was dealing with in that church. You know, oftentimes we get so disgruntled over the fact that we don't see progress or the things that we want to see happen. People, you know, catching our quote vision uh, for the future and stuff like that. And that can make us discouraged. And yet the path, the, the, the mentally tough pastors, the one who keeps, keeps the unstoppable kingdom of Christ at the forefront, uh, regardless of, you know, how many people attend or how many people come forward to the altar, you know, <laughs> um, God's kingdom is moving forward. And, uh, man, that, what a, that's, that's a great lesson. Uh, I I've, I've been yeah. convicted by that myself, even though uh, I haven't been able to articulate it in those, in those specific words. <laughs> well, that's, that's helpful for me to hear, man. Are you, do you read Eugene Peterson? You know what? Uh, I haven't read 
a lot of his stuff, but I actually just bought his book, uh, The Pastor, his memoir, uh, and I'm about ready to crack it open uh, this summer since I haven't, I, I'm I'm finally done with uh, seminary work and seminary reading. So <laughs> it's my, it's on my, like the, the top of my to read list for this summer. Okay, man. When you get halfway through that book, text me. I want, I want to know what you're doing. <laughs> So Peterson, you know, like whatever he believes on on a theology of gender, sexuality, yada, 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 go ahead and throw that out. I don't really care. Um, But his pastoral theology is excellent. And uh, I've I've been reading his his son, who's also a pastor, just released a book called Letters to a Young Pastor, Timothy Conversations Between Father and Son. And it's a bunch of letters that Eugene Peterson wrote him like. I think like 40 different letters. And so I've been reading through this, just kind of soaking myself in Eugene Peterson's theology of pastoral ministry. And he really struck me with one of the things he said. He said, as soon as, as pastors, as soon as we give up on the idea of becoming somebody, then we'll finally be able to immerse ourselves in all the beautiful details of the stories of our church members. Hmm. But if, hmm. we're, if we're obsessed with people always catching our vision, right? And, and <laughs> metrics and, you know, worldly growth standards um, and obsessed with the idea of becoming a somebody, then we'll just like never see what God is actually doing in in our church. And we'll say things like you said, which is like, man, my church isn't moving forward or getting it. And it's not because they're not. It's probably because you're not looking at them. You're just looking at yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and making sure that your 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 ideas of what your ministry can be or should be or ought to be or what you hope it to be are are realized. Um that's a great uh that's a great sentiment and I've also I, I, a, a similar one I have been reminiscing on recently is there was this article in Christianity Today uh I think last year sometime and I think I, I'll try and link to it. Uh, I think it was by a guy named Chase Replogle. Um, and he talks about this idea of pastoring the imaginary church and just about how like he was uh, a guy who was who was kind of like always wanting to be uh, I'm really I'm really like badly summarizing this article, uh, which you have to read now um, to get the yeah. better sense of it. But it, essentially, he's talking about how he was you know, in uh, this sort of like basement house church. And he was, but he had always had these dreams of pastoring uh, a much larger congregation. And yet he comes to realize through the reading of guys like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the fact that he had missed the whole ministry that was in front of him while he was constantly trying to minister to the sort of ideal idealized church that was in his head that he would one day hope to minister to. And I think that that is is so true that we often, we often forfeit the ministry in front of us by hoping that we someday realize this idealized ministry uh, in the future. And I think to me, that's, that's spoken to me, even as I've entered this first year of real pastoral ministry is just that, keep the the present flock in front of my face and at the at the forefront of my mind at all times because those who I'm called to I'm not called to the potential church or the the uh, sort of imaginary church in my head I'm called to the church that's right here right now in front of me the flesh and blood that's 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 in my midst that's uh, Lord, uh, that's, that's suffering and, 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 or, or maybe they're thriving, but, uh, regardless, I'm called to them, uh, not to, not to some imaginary church. And that's, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I don't know. That's been speaking to me. <laughs> yeah. You know, the imaginary church is fantastic because every sermon I preach to them, they come up to me with their best preacher ever pin and put it right on the lapel, right? They, yeah, that's right, right? They write <laughs> articles and they share them with their friends and they tell, um, but like also the Spurgeon quote comes to mind of, if you ever find the perfect church, leave it because you'll screw it up. <laughs> yeah, that's God, right. God, we never actually pastored the imaginary church because then we would screw it up and it would shatter us. Yeah, but definitely. Man, to waste a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of spirituality on thinking and kind of lusting on what well, my associate pastor, the thing you're talking about, he calls it church adultery. Mm. <laughs> so that's a, that's a good way to word it uh, because it is, you're, you're almost committing adultery in the church that you've been called to. Um, and I, I think one of the foremost <sighs> truths or, or sentiments that's really affected me uh, to that end has actually been, it comes from this um, Scottish churchman. His name is Patrick Fairbairn. He was uh, a Scottish preacher back in the late 1800s. And he writes and he has a book called the pa uh, pastoral theology. And in it, he, he writes about the, the office of the pastorate. And he writes about the fact that the pastorate is a unique office in the sense that it's predominantly the charge of the care of souls. Mm. And when you, uh, for some reason, that's always like stuck with me ever since I read it, because yeah, I'm not dealing with a statistic or just a, a person that comes through uh, the threshold of the church. Uh, whoever crosses that threshold, it's, it's not a statistic. They're a soul. And what, what better message can I give them other than what Paul says in, in, in Corinthians? Again, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. And, and when that, I think, is the prevailing uh, sort of driving force of your ministry, it'll change sort of your priority in ministry, too. And I think that that's, you know, through this quarantine season, this the, the gift of quarantine, as you mentioned it, it's sort of had a an effect in which I've doubled down on that, on knowing nothing except Christ and him cruci crucified. Not that I was, you know, yeah. uh, wavering on that, but it's like, yeah, I'm doubled, I'm doubling down on the importance of that. And uh, because there's no better message, there's no more hopeful message than that. Dude, none. You're, you're totally right on that. It has like, <laughs> This season has absolutely revealed our our need for the gospel and our total dependence yes. on the gospel. It's also revealed our man. Um, it's also revealed our inability, um, our inability to actually look at our own sin and to sensationalize the sins of everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And and again, that's another reminder of how much we need the gospel and how much we need to believe the gospel because if if we really believe that Christ was crucified for sinners and that he clothes us in his very own righteousness, we wouldn't need to read everybody's opinion on every bad thing that ever happens to feel good about <laughs> ourselves. We could yeah. have time to pray and sit yeah. in the presence of God without feeling shame and condemnation. Yeah, <laughs> that's so true. Still, that's so true. We, we, we do tend to sensationalize these moments, right? Like, as if they're the worst in the history of the world. 
uh, and that we're living through the most unprecedented times ever, and that no Christian has ever faced something more difficult than what we're facing right now, which is inherently so selfish and prideful, and it just it speaks to our hubris as as uh, modern uh, as modern citizens of the world. <laughs> but I think too, it also uh, it also betrays sort of our inherent notion that we are the ones that are going to sort of um, see the end of the world. Uh, there's something I think that's deeply yeah. selfish about that. Well, it was first kind of pointed out to me. I'll, I'll link this article in the notes too, uh, by uh, our good friend over at Mockingbird, David Zoll. He wrote a great article okay. um, over at Mockingbird uh, regarding like just the future in the sense that, you know, we are so, almost hubristic in our in our notions about like yes we're the generation that's going to do in society and yet at the same time this kind of goes back to what you were seeing what you were saying about uh sort of pastoral mental toughness is that there's a lot of positives that are going on in the world even as all these negatives are going on too and we often are not able to see that because we are so inundated with the bad news which again, it comes all the way full circle, which mm-hmm. is why we need to be so dependent upon the good news. Because again, not to keep harping on this, but God's kingdom is unstoppable. And whether we're, we, whether that we are in the generation that's going to see the end of the world or not, uh, that's kind of beside the point. Because the fact is, God's, he's already preordained when that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And whether it's because of now or whether it's a thousand years from now, uh, he's the one that's ruling over it. And I just think that there's so much hope in the fact that um, he's he's got a sovereign grip over this moment. Like he hasn't lessened that grip, even when we think it's so uh, sensationally bad. Uh, there were times when uh, throughout uh, the history of Christianity where uh, they've thought that they've been living through the end times, too. Uh, you can, uh, it was so fascinating to me. I was actually studying for a sermon. I was reading that just how many times people have predicted the end of the world. Uh, oh. You know, uh, you know, it's just kind of funny. It's like, a, it's a, it, in a sadistic, almost tragic way. It's funny uh, to see how many people have thought that the world is certainly going to end. And it, it, it's kind of like another distraction that I think Satan allows to uh, occur from sure. what yeah. the message of Christ crucified. Yeah. Wow. If I obsess myself with details about exactly when and how the world is going to end, I definitely <laughs> have to face my own spiritual darkness and turn to Jesus. Yes. I had never, I dude, I had never made the connection about being obsessed with the end times and hubris. Mm. That was really, that was really helpful for me. Oh, uh, good. I'm, it's been helpful for me in this end times because, or in this current season, because I, it, it, it seasons like this. Uh, and not just the quarantining, but then the, the 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 tragedy of all this social upheaval too. It brings it all into the forefront of our minds. Just the the sense that uh, the world is ending, and we almost almost kind of search for um, ways in which that is true, and, and we almost make it true in our own minds. And I think that that is also a way in which we kind of forfeit what we're supposed to be doing in the here and now by trying to explain or rationalize or, or, or sort of articulate the fact that the world is ending in, in an imminent way, (laughs) we kind of forfeit, 
yeah, we're just supposed to keep preaching and just keep planting. We're supposed to, you know, as Martin Luther says, if I knew what the, if the world was going to end tomorrow, I'd still plant my apple tree. And Mm. I don't know if that's a real quote from Luther or not, but regardless, I think the truth holds firm. It it goes back to uh, sort of the farmer in Mark chapter four, that we keep planting, whether we see growth or not, whether we see success or not, we, we keep planting, we keep tilling, we keep forging ahead. Um, and that's the faithful work that, that kind of, that God has, has called us to, as not just pastors, but as I think as Christians too, um, regardless of what field we're in, uh, we're to be planting that seed, uh, regardless of whether we think the world is going to end tomorrow or not. It, it, that's kind of beside the point. Yeah, dude, that's a good word, you know, and it's just good resurrection theology, too, you know, like, (laughs) um, in some strange way, Paul insists in 1 Corinthians 15, in a very poetic way, he just, he insists that, in some strange way, the good and loving things that we do in this lifetime are going to somehow, some way, survive through the flames, and are going to help build the new kingdom that will live in forever in the new creation, and so, in some strange way, every Every minute you spend helping uh, a student with a mental disability, every minute you spend sharing the gospel with somebody who doesn't get it, every minute you spend planting a, a, a seed that's going to grow into a tree, that, that is somehow, some way going to help build God's new creation. And it's going yep. to last through those times. And so um, you quoted Luther. I think N.T. Wright has a really similar quote. He says, hmm. um, the end is coming, plant a tree. That's actually the name of one of them, <laughs> actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, that's, that's a cool quote. And, you know, it, it helps us peel our eyes off what is sensational and distracting and yeah. towards what is meaningful, deep, and rich, which, and this is, again, this is something I feel like I'm learning as a, as a pastor during the, the COVID-19 season is that Christian leadership has got to be different and less sensational than secular leadership, especially in a postmodern world. Like mm. one, one thing that I've noticed is that um, postmodern leadership really, it, it, it bows its knees to social media algorithms, whatever's, <laughs> whatever's sensational, whatever's going to cause debate, whatever's going to tick people off is going to get pushed to the top of the algorithm. And so a lot of people, you know, they go with that route, but as a result, all, all of your church members and all of my church members right now, they are not short on information. You know, they, mm, like, no. everybody is walking around spe- experiencing total information overload. And one thing that this has definitely exploded as a myth is the pervasive thought. And I think this began during the enlightenment era that more information necessarily equals more Christ-likeness. And that's not mm. true. And that's not true. No. Um, now, now I, I need to teach good theology and I need to teach, teach good doctrine, but I am not, as a Christian leader, as, as, a, as a leader in the way of Jesus, I am not just an information giver. My, dude, all of my, all of my church members have every systematic theology ever written at their fingertips on their phone. So I, I cannot depend on the fact that experiencing more information equals automatic holiness. So I think that leadership, if it's going to be effective in the postmodern world, it can't be always a matter of just giving people more information. Instead, mm. I think that truly radical Christian leaders in the postmodern world are going to lead by creating breathing room for their people. That's, 
Hmm. Anybody can fill their, their head with more facts. What people can't do is carve out time to breathe deeply in the presence of the Lord, to meditate and ponder on the truths of his word, to integrate theology into their lives. That's the hard thing. And so as, as a leader, I've been thinking about how can I create that space for people so they can regain their sanity in the Lord? Mm. Wow, that's a really good thought, too, uh, because it kind of goes back to the essential nature, I think, of church in the first place, which is the message of Christ in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And that sense of stillness and rest as a re- as, in the church as like a relief station and not a, an, an burdening station is, I think, a really chief message that um, I, I won't sensationalize and say it's been ignored forever, but I will say it's 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 been ignored in pockets of Christianity for t- far too long, with the sense that the church is a place where you come to get burdened instead of unburdened, and I think that that is a really true word uh, because th- there's there should be no more relieving place in the world other than the church, a place where you know it, it where it ought to be. Uh, a place of absolution and forgiveness mm. and pardon. Uh, and it's unfortunate, I think, that a lot of times that that isn't always the uh, stereotypical view or vernacular view of, of church. They see, uh, you know, the vernacular of the idea of preaching is being yelled at by a guy that's old and white. And, um, <laughs> totally. and that's kind of like, it's kind of unfortunate. Instead of, you can be, old and white, but maybe the, 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 the vernacular ought to be, uh, just a person giving you grace. And, uh, I, I, I pray that that is, that comes to the fore a lot more in, in the days ahead. Um, as we, uh, yeah, I pray it does. Like someday I'm going to be old and white and that's totally okay. But your conception of preaching can't be what you, you know, like it can't be some old white guy yelling at you. (laughs) Yeah, that that myth, we have to explode it. And one of the reasons we have to explode it is because that's not what preaching meant in the early vernacular. I mean, no preaching and proclamation is language that was specifically hijacked from kingship language. Right. A or somebody who was uh, evangelizing or proclaiming the good news was was somebody who it was somebody who was a messenger of the king who after a great victory would run from town to town, village to village and say, Hey, I have great news about an amazing victory about how your life is going to change. And Mm. that is what preaching meant to the early church. And that's what preaching should mean to our churches. And that's what we should think we're doing when we're stepping up to the pulpit. We should think, Oh man, Hey, Hey guys, have I told you yet about this amazing God who loves you? I have great, (laughs) great news. Like there should be this, when we step up to our pulpit, there should be this breathless quality about us that we've just run from the presence of the king. And we have this amazing news about his victory that we just get to announce to people. That's preaching. Mm. Yes. Amen. I, I see that everywhere. Uh, I've been so inundated with this idea of looking at um, how the apostles preached as you see them preach in the in the book of Acts. And it's that very thing, which is is almost every single message 
deals with what? It deals with the reality and the absolute certainty that they had in their minds that the resurrection was real. And they were like, this guy that you guys killed, <laughs> he was Jesus. He was the Messiah. And he he raised himself from the dead. Yeah. And we saw it because we were there with him. And like that certainty that led that was that, that kind of was that's where the good news was born, so to speak. It came out of that sort of revelation and proclamation of the fact that the resurrection was an absolute certainty that drove everything and meant everything to them. And I think you can see that hopefulness, and I, I see it in Peter. I see it in Stephen. You know, when right before Stephen is martyred, what does he do? He gives a sermon about the the history of Israel and about the fact that. All throughout, God was working in redemption, and the guy that they had just murdered, uh, he's you know speaking to the Sanhedrin. He's like, the guy that you just murdered, yeah, he was the Messiah, and mm. he has come to save us from our sins. And like, there's just so much uh, joy, even in that hard message that they preach in front of so much you know persecution and and heartache. And yet, what they were so confident in the fact that they were right and not because that they had come to that rightness, but because they had seen the resurrection. And that's what is cool because then you have it tangentially through uh, the next generation that they, they engendered and instilled that sort of confidence in the fact that this death defeating Jesus was the real deal. Uh, you know, when Paul is talking about that to Timothy in the pastorals, it's it's you can sense the fact that Paul was just adamant about the fact that this guy that he saw on Damascus, it wasn't just, you know, he wasn't tripped out on anything. It was it was real. Like he had really met Jesus on that road. And that's why he it was so formative for Paul, mm -hmm. the victory of Jesus. Um, it, 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 like you said, uh, that should be the prevailing message. <laughs> Jesus has already won. That's the prevailing message of any yeah. any preacher ever. Right, right. You know, I sometimes like I kind of laugh because if if Paul or Stephen or one of the apostles went to most modern Western churches and watched preaching, they wouldn't say, "Now that was preaching." They'd probably say, hmm. "What was that?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, that wasn't their conception of preaching. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I was, I, I've been pretty adamant about that ever since I first stepped into this pastorate, which is with, with the fact that, you know, if you're attending this church to get tips and tricks on how to live uh, and get life hacks to better spirituality, uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed because uh, mm -hmm. that's not the message that I have to give you. Uh, I, I, maybe I'm, maybe I'm too old fuddy-duddy, but I only have one message and it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I hope that I stick with that. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And yeah, I mean, that's what Paul stuck with. Right. And that's, that's <laughs> yeah. that, seemed, that seemed to work. Sometimes when I think about preaching, man, um, there's what Paul seemed to think. Well, not just Paul, the entire new Testament writers seem to think that when biblical gospel preaching happened, Jesus became present in a unique way, right? Mm, the Reformers yeah. pick this up all the time, right? Like you've got Westminster Catechism, I think it is, that says the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. You've got, you've got Bonhoeffer who uses this lovely imagery, apparently with all of his preaching students, where he, he claimed that when you were preaching Christ crucified, no matter how good or how bad you were doing it, 
Jesus Christ was present and walking up the, up and down the aisles of your church, laying his hands on people and healing them while you're preaching. Mm. And Paul seems to think that because in in his letter to the Galatians, he he claims that through his preaching, Christ was crucified before their very own eyes. Um, and so, I, gosh, what was that? What was that Ben Stiller movie where he gets tired of his desk job and he goes out on an adventure? It's from an old short story. Oh, um, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Oh, that's it. Okay. So, okay, link, link, put a link on this, on the show notes to the trailer for that movie. Because that's a great example of what happens in preaching. There's this, the trailer for that movie, he's like sitting down, he's bored at work, he's going through his life. Everything's mundane and fuddy-duddy and black and white. And then he has this moment where he looks over at this painting and the character in the painting steps out of it and waves his hand to Ben Stiller and Ben Mm. Stiller runs after him and goes on the adventure of a lifetime. That's what happens when we preach Christ crucified. We Hmm. paint this portrait of Christ crucified and Jesus in some real spiritual sense steps out of it, calls people to himself and they embark on the greatest adventure of grace and forgiveness of their entire lifetime. That, to me, <laughs> is a great image of what happens when we preach Jesus. Hmm. Wow. That's that's beautiful, man. I've never thought about it that way. Uh, and the, the idea that the preacher is, in some senses, and not in like a mystical way, but is incarnating Jesus as he's preaching, as the ambassador uh, as Paul calls us, as the the viceroy of Christ Himself, um, that's a a really good sense in which uh, the message of the gospel becomes real in the heart and and minds and souls of of the congregation. Wow, that's a that's a good word. And that's you almost quoted Lloyd Jones on preaching right there. Lloyd Jones, I think, says, "Preaching is the word of God incarnated again." Mm. I think that's Lloyd Jones. I might be wrong. It sounds like Lloyd Jones. <laughs> yeah. Preachers and preaching, such a good book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, wow, man, I'm I'm moved by that, and I, not to, well, we can keep going down the movie references train of thought. Um, there's this movie um, that was criminally underseen by Zach Braff, or it was directed, and I think it starred Zach Braff, and I'm forgetting the 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 title of it now but in it there's this uh it, it kind of deals with zach braff you know the dude from scrubs and he's oh, yeah. um dealing with his father who has been diagnosed with cancer and just all these other things and his brother has become really kind of a bum and stuff like that but anyways he's dealing with all these things and in in the opening I'll, I'll find it and i'll link it too but he has this quote that has always stuck with me because he's not even meaning it theologically but he says in it uh, the fact that, you know, he he's reminiscing that he and his brothers, when they were young, they used to pretend that, you know, they were the heroes who saved the day. And then he says, but what if what if we were the ones who actually needed to be saved? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's such a wonderful realization to come to that. Yeah, we like to pretend that we're the heroes. We're the ones who saved the, the damsels in distress and saved the world through our mighty deeds, through our <laughs> whatever. Uh, and yet, what if we realize that that's not us at all? We're the ones that need to be saved. Um, that's, I think, the message that is not always 
comfortable to hear because we want to be the heroes, whether it's, you know, in our activism or in our attention to detail or in our ministerial acumen, we want to be those heroes. But what if we realize that that's not the point at all? We're the ones that need to be saved. And I think that that's when the message of the gospel comes right in and says, yeah, that's exactly true. And guess what? we get to preach the message of the gospel of the savior, the true and better savior who has already died for all your ministry failings, for your life failings, mm-hmm. for anything that you uh, fail to do. He's already paid that debt already, which is just a wonderfully enriching and encouraging message to be charged with. And I think people, when people see themselves as people who need to be saved, they become deeply human and they become incredibly mm-hmm. soft and gentle and kind. And mm-hmm. I've actually noticed that happen at my local church during this season. You know, COVID-19 has exploded the myth that we're the saviors and it's reinforced the fact that we need saving. And it's really showed us how fragile we are. And there and there have been people who have become more mean-spirited, more hostile and more bitter for sure. But overall in my church, I, I've seen my church become more kind to one another over these last three or four months. And I think part of that is because we're young and we're only three and a half years old. And I think every church goes through kind of it's like teen season when it feels like it's indestructible. You know, like when you were a teen, I know you did dumb things, Brad. I totally did. Because <laughs> I just felt... Me? Are you... Or what are you... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Totally indestructible. Like... And um, I think church plants feel indestructible for a while because a lot of times they're led by charismatic, high energy people. And in the first year or two, they often experience a surge at the beginning. But this pandemic for Frontier Church has really exposed how fragile we are. And so there's been this is going to sound like I'm like I'm blowing this out of proportion. I'm not, though. The amount of heartfelt, spirit-led encouragement I've received as a pastor from my church in the last three or four months is more than what I've received in the first three or four years as a pastor. Hmm. Wow. There have been church members who have dropped off groceries from my wife and me. Like the amount of encouragement that our church has given me, the amount of people who have been praying for me, it, it's just been, it has really brought out the fragility and 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 the kindness in people in some cool ways. Hmm. And that's the amazing effect that the gospel has, is yeah. that you can see it take effect in people's lives in really palpable ways. And that to me is one of the most encouraging things to see and experience as a pastor is is people quote uh, being the church, which is such a cliched thing, but people being the church and quote, living the gospel in ways in which they're not prodded to or coerced to. They're just doing it because the gospel is real to them. And to me, that's, there's, there's kind of no truer sign of the fact that, yeah, uh, God can work and move in hearts, even when you're not really meaning to. Uh, And God can move and work in souls uh, when you're not even, uh, really expecting it to. Um, and I think that, as we kind of said at the beginning, seasons of of ruin and of of frustration kind of bring that out all the more and that they bring out all the more how dependent we are. 
but they also bring out all the more how how gracious uh, our Lord is too, and 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 giving us these opportunities to see, yeah, our weakness, but also His strength at the same time. Yes, spirit empowered human beings can be pretty incredible sometimes. <laughs> yes, yes, they can. <laughs> Which is a, oh, or, or it's not a radical thought, but it is. It sounds radical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It totally does. <laughs> <laughs> Cole, hey, I want to thank you for coming on. There's a lot more I wanted to get into. Um, uh, I'm running out of time. Uh, is there any sort of like pervading last word that you would want to leave our listeners with as we as you kind of reflect on uh, some of the things we've discussed, but also some of the last few weeks slash months of, of, of ministry? Uh, is there any sort of like summary word or statement that you would like to leave our listeners with? Uh, yeah, man. I, I know people from Frontier Church are going to be listening. So I hope like one thing that came through really clearly in this is that I, I love you guys. So a big I love you to Frontier Church. Like Brad, hmm. we talked about this earlier. I, I don't want to pastor an imaginary church. I like yeah. Frontier Church. And I'm so <laughs> in the in the non uh, in the way that doesn't reject God's sovereignty. I feel so lucky to be your guys's pastor. And so to, to people who want a part of Frontier Church and specifically pastors, just just a reminder that in any time this is important, but especially during the COVID-19 season, guys, don't don't hesitate as leaders in the church to tell your church that you love them. And mm. and it, it's really important to use the language of affection with your local church. Right. Like I love what Paul says in the Bible that he not only shared the gospel with the Thessalonians, but his own life. So you know, do that. Say, say, I love you to your church. They, um, to, to be honest with you, like one pressure that I have felt as a lead pastor is that, okay, I have to have a really coherent, well-developed opinion on whether or not COVID-19 is real, or I need to have a <laughs> nuanced position on what happened with George Floyd. I need to have a really robust opinion. So people look to me as the authority on these issues. And what I've noticed in my own church is that um, it's way less important to have a well-developed opinion and it's way more important to help people with different opinions, love one another. That's, mm. that's been amazing to me during this season is I just don't have a well-developed opinion on all the literature of the experts, but what I want to do really well is help the people in my church who disagree with one another and have way different opinions to still love one another because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Hmm. Amen for that. Yeah, dude. I'm so thankful that I have you on the same side in the kingdom. Uh, you're you're a great man of of God with a, a deep passion for the Lord, and I'm just thankful for your passion how it is exhibited all the time in your work for the kingdom. And uh, Cole, many blessings to you. Uh, thank you for carving out this time. Uh, I'm so grateful uh, for your, your ministry, and I'll uh, definitely be praying for you uh, personally, uh, with your family, and also as uh, with Frontier Church as uh, things move forward in the days ahead. And uh, I pray that you are made all the more tough in your pastoral mental toughness. So thanks again for this time. I appreciate you, brother. Hey, thanks, dude. I love you much. And I'm serious. When you get halfway through uh, the pastor, text me. I want to know what you think I about will- okay? I'm marking it down. I'll send you a text. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Hey, next time, not two or three years between. Okay. Yes. No, a couple of weeks, maybe at the most. (laughs) All right. See you, bro. 
Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I am thanks so much for Cole for jumping on the podcast. We will be sure to have him on again very soon. Uh, but I hope you've been blessed by this episode. Uh, please subscribe to the Ministry Minded Podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Uh, we're also on Anchor and any other place where you get your podcasts. I appreciate all of your encouragement, your prayers, your support. Anytime I get some sort of note that uh, says that you were blessed by something that I put out, I am incredibly blessed by that. So uh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening and commenting and subscribing. I'll see you in the next episode. Blessings. Thank you.